Welcome to the Utah Women in Leadership podcast series. Today we're going to be talking about substance use disorders among Utah women. In November of 2018, we published a research snapshot on this topic, and even though it's a few years old, it's such an important topic, and we want to discuss some of the highlights of this snapshot in this podcast episode. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project, and I'm here with Robin Scribner, lead researcher on this report. Substance use disorders, including the opioid epidemic, have reached crisis levels throughout the United States, and Utah is no exception. In 2017, more than 72,000 Americans died from drug overdoses, a number that has doubled in the past decade. According to the Centers for Disease Control, 625 Utahns died from a drug overdose in 2016 alone. That is 22.4 people per 100,000, a rate that was above the national average of 19.8 and the 19th highest in the nation for that year. Although in Utah and the U.S. as a whole, men are more likely to die from a drug overdose, this issue affects a significant number of women. From 2013 to 2015, 776 Utah women died from a drug overdose. Women are more likely to be prescribed opioids and to develop an addiction more easily compared to men. As substance use disorders have serious negative effects on individuals and families and communities, understanding and working to reduce this epidemic is imperative to improving the lives of women throughout the state. That's a little bit of an introduction from our snapshot. Very critical issue as we look at at many women in the state of Utah. And as we said, it really affects a lot of families. I mean, even if one woman has an issue with substance use disorder, it affects her children and her everybody around her in so many ways. Robin? Absolutely. And as we get started, I'd love to just kind of define exactly what substance use disorders are. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, substance use disorders are present when recurrent use of alcohol and or drugs causes clinically and functionally significant impairment, such as health problems, disability, and failure to meet major responsibilities at work, school, or home. And so that just goes back to what you said, how widespread it is. This is not something that we can just put in a little box and say, oh, that's a problem that they, they have. Substance use disorders affect every aspect of a person's life and their family's lives. Yeah. You know, when we were first putting this snapshot together, you were doing lots of research. And again, this is not typically in our wheelhouse. It's, it's again, a, a health issue that, that there's so many specialists, and we're not necessarily the specialists, but we wanted to know enough to write this report. However, through the years, I've called this substance abuse, you know, substance abuse. And you and I um, went at it a little bit because I'm like, that's what people know this as. But you talked to specialists, interviewed specialists, looked at the literature, and it had changed in the time that I used that word to substance use disorder. Do you, know, do you want to talk about yes, that? Yes, and that was one of the things. A few of our reviewers, we send all our snapshots out to expert reviewers to make sure that we're getting things right. And some of my reviewers came back to me so strongly and, and pointed me to research that I found fascinating, which, first of all, talking about substance use disorders, calling this the correct name emphasizes that this is a long 
long-term chronic health condition that affects our brains and our bodies. And by calling it substance use disorders, research has shown that it not only reduces stigma, but it actually gets victims of this disorder better medical outcomes. So doctors, when they when they talk about substance abuse, they're less likely to treat patients in the same way they would if they understand that this is really a substance use disorder. I found that absolutely fascinating. And, and I've been really careful to change my mindset and terminology as I'm thinking about this issue. Yeah, because uh, I think, you know, to me, when I look at the change of words and looked at the research, it really does kind of welcome in more people that are struggling with substance use disorder to get the help they need. And man, I just... I, I'm not around a lot of people that struggle with this. I might be, because and know I don't it, right? know it. Uh, but I I can totally get why that switch, after I learned about that switch, why they did that. Because we need to not be shunning people or making them feel more, you know, reach out, get the help that we need. And a lot of people in Utah, including women, need help. Right. So so let's dive into the numbers just a little bit here as we're getting started. One of the things, when we're looking at, at the overall numbers of deaths, 776 deaths between 2013 and 2015 of women, that's a staggering number. But in every single one of those, if we look at those as an individual, that's devastating and tra- tragic for all of those. But as we pull this out to a little bit of a larger scale and, and move beyond those who have suffered the ultimate consequence of this disorder, but to those that are, that are using... Um, drugs of different kinds and that are experiencing substance use disorder, uh, the numbers are much, much larger. So about 7, 7.6% of adults in the state of Utah uh, reported illicit drug use in the previous month, which uh, comes That's out a lot to of people. 158,000 people. And if we're looking at that, again, this is more... That's just the people, right? right. Not the Not the impact it might have on their children. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So almost 160,000 people. And and all those substance use disorders are more common among men than they are among women. Mm-hmm. It's about a 60-40 split. That still leaves us with 63,200 Utah women who had used illicit drugs in the previous months. I mean, think about that. That number is just staggering. And and it is staggering. And I, I can just, the more that I do this work, the more I see the impact of individual people's actions on so many. We're not talking just just their own people in their house, but so many people around them. Now, when we talk about drugs in general and that, that drug use, in Utah, the research seemed to split that up. Like street drugs is one, and then prescription drugs is another and, and if you're listening to this, kind of guess where we might be, because we're different on those two in the state of Utah, Robin. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And and some of the things that, that you might expect, we're, we're kind of, we've got this reputation nationally as a clean-cut state. And uh, in Utah, we are much more likely to develop substance use disorders that stemmed from prescription drugs. So the vast majority of those who end up using heroin, who end up using cocaine, started with prescription opioids. And that's one of the factors why why we, you know, our, our demographic, our listeners and our population might think, oh, I would never have a problem with substance use disorder. That's not the kind of person that's going that out I on am. the street. Right. That's not yeah. the kind of family or the kind of neighborhood that I live in. But so many of the people who struggle with these challenges, this medical condition, started because they 
their doctor gave them a prescription that was valid that they needed. But because some of these drugs are so very powerful, those opioids can turn into illicit drug use. And you can use drugs in an illicit way. We That has a kind of a weird connotation, but it can be prescription drugs. But if you're using prescription drugs in a way that were not recommended by yes. your doctor, if you're using them too much for too long, if you're using somebody else's drugs, that's still illicit drug use as much as if you went and bought some street drugs off the, the corner. And I think, you know, my husband had surgery earlier this year, and I was surprised at how how much data we got when we left the hospital. He was kind of in and out in one day, not overnight. But there's a lot of warnings out there. Like, be really careful. We're going to give you these prescriptions, but be really careful. But still, even with that, I think that's a good start, right? Let's be more open with with the drug, you know, what we prescribe as physicians or healthcare providers. And that's one of the reasons why, why we're talking about this to raise awareness. I think a lot of families, because they don't see themselves in that we're a drug type of family, they're not, not maybe careful enough with their prescriptions. I know that I've been guilty of this in the past, uh, that I that I haven't necessarily disposed of my drugs in the way that yes. I needed to or kept them out of reach of my children. And and that's the way a lot of this gets started is that someone can go into somebody's home and, and find something in a bathroom cabinet and, and try it and, and start down a really dangerous path. You know, what I found interesting as well when we look at this research, we any anybody, just so you know, you can get to any of these reports at u2women.org um, to learn more. But one of the things that that we, we have published in the report really is about race. We try and bring, you know, race into all of our conversations because the experience, Robin, you know this, the experience of women is often different than men, but we can't lump often all women into the same bucket because women, uh, you know, black women, Asian women, they're not all the same either, but women of color more generally have different experiences than white women. Yes, right? for sure. And and a lot of these data are really hard to pin down. So the numbers that we have in our snapshot come from the Utah Division of Substance Use substance abuse and mental health. They still have that old name in their, in their name, actually. But um, so they were looking at specific clients that were receiving substance use disorder treatment within their facilities. And of those clients, 88% of them were white, identified as white, much higher than any other racial group. Um, and 15% of the women of any race identified as Hispanic. So we're okay. looking at ethnicity specifically. But white, so, so many yeah, white. Yes, on very, this. very high. So, uh, you know, despite what we might see in movies or pop culture, the, the women receiving treatment for these drugs in the state of Utah are white women. But I wanted to add one more aspect to that when we're talking about looking at these numbers specifically. A recent survey showed that 50,000 Utahns of all genders had a substance use disorder that they weren't receiving treatment for. So I wanted to emphasize that to show that when we're talking about some of these numbers, we're talking about those who are in treatment. That's how we've been able to gather these data. That's true. But there are a lot of people who have a disorder who are not receiving treatment of any kind. So we know that our data are incomplete. And it could even be higher than that. I thought at least we have some reason. Research to, yeah, that's based to, on surveys. Yeah. So. so I do think the research on age is fascinating. Um, you know, it's an important factor to consider when we really look and study substance use disorder. And in Utah, our, our snapshot says in Utah, a woman is most likely to be treated um, for this disorder between the ages of 25 and 34. So about 42% of women in treatment fall within that category. But there's some interesting statistics about women who are a little bit older. Yeah. And, and what this shows is that women are most likely to die 
from a drug overdose between the ages of 45 and 54. Mm -hmm. So more women, a higher percentage of women who are using drugs and experiencing the substance use disorder are the younger women, but they're more likely to die when they're older. And I don't know if that's because uh, younger women who are able to be in full recovery, uh, you know, are, are able to get out of it and no longer have those issues when they're older. But the women who are older, their uh, substance use disorder might be more serious and one that even leads to death. But that, again, we, we think about the younger people, but the women most likely to die are these older women, which is really tragic. And, you know, this this research is a few years old. Again, we published it at the, at the end of 2018. And when we have data on this, though, it's not just 2018 data. It goes back. I mean, you're seeing, you know, we've, we've cited 2013 to 2015, some different data. And I'm even running, you know, things have changed even in the last five years. So I don't have the answer to this. I'm just throwing it out and maybe some of the listeners would. But in this new, even the last five years, you know, uh, we've been talking about it more. We've been talking about these things. I wonder, I get, I'm just putting it out there. I wonder if younger folks, even younger than, than the research that we found, are more willing to seek help. Um, what what is your you have a bunch of kids at home oh, and a my bunch goodness. of <laughs> yeah boy do I well that's one of the things that that we're starting to see uh, and in terms of women seeking help this is an interesting stat that uh, that men comprise the majority of drug deaths overall yes but women who are treated for substance use overdoses in the emergency room uh, make up sixty percent of all patients oh. so. I, that's one of the things that we wondered if women are more likely to seek treatment. Yeah. Maybe they're maybe they're using a different type of drug that recre- decreases their overall death rate. But but I love the idea, and I hope that it's true that that women recognize I need some help. I've got to get in here and get some help. Yeah. And I bet, you know, we have a little bit of this in our snapshot. But I'm thinking more and more about including women of color in our conversations. And so you wonder if, and and oftentimes this is well known that oftentimes in the state of Utah. Not all women. We have women of color at all different incomes levels, but we know some women of color, um, especially in the Hispanic population, some of the others, end up fitting into that lower, not terribly low income. Some do. Mm-hmm. And and we found in, in the research about seeking help, right, that sometimes women who are in areas of lower income seek less help. Right. But I don't know where it overlaps. I'm kind of bringing something up that's not necessarily in the in the snapshot, but I think it's fascinating to look at how to help people by by race as well. And this is one of the issues that we always come up with always when we're doing these snapshots, when we're doing these podcasts, is that we don't have enough information in a lot of these cases. So we're always calling for more organizations to say, let's get on the research. Let's find the numbers we need in order to address this issue. A couple other demographic factors that we found really interesting, and again, maybe not surprising, were income level and education levels. So 71% of all female clients of these substance use disorders clinics had a high school degree or less, you know, versus 4%, only 4% that had a bachelor's degree or higher. That's so that, crazy. that level of education makes a huge difference for who is in these public treatment clinics. Another one was that 93% of these female clients lived at or below the poverty yeah. level. So a huge Issue. But but I wanted to emphasize here that doesn't mean that more educated women and higher income women are not experiencing substance use disorders, but they're not getting treatment in these public health clinics. They are more likely to be going to private centers, private facilities where th- these data are not being gathered. And so at least we didn't have access to it. Yeah, I really think that the education level is so interesting to look at. Again, 
I have been a proponent of women getting their education for so many reasons. And we've talked about this in many episodes um, because it does impact. And some people have less access, again, probably the people in lower income. um, Sometimes what we found in Utah, women of color, girls and women of color have. But again, how important that getting that education is and how important it is for those of us that that can do something in terms of public policy and access to make sure women who are low income and women who haven't graduated from high school really have opportunities to go to college and graduate, yes. right? You're you're on the same it bandwagon. Makes, it makes such a difference. It, it makes a huge difference. A couple other factors that I wanted to talk about in terms of the types of drugs that, that women yes. were using. One thing that, that uh, we found is that, again, we've mentioned this before, Utahns are much more likely to misuse prescription drugs than other illegal drugs. But women who are admitted into the public treatment system were um, the highest specific drug that they were using was meth. Oh, and this is one thing that, and that men are hear, different, right? Yeah, men men are more likely to be using heroin. So one of the things that we know and again, it, it comes down to our stereotypes about what a drug user is. Meth has a nickname of mother's little helper. Mm. And and when we're looking at women who are dealing with very large families, lots of levels of stress, all these other things, there might be this idea, well, if I use this, it, it might help me get a little bit do- more done. It might help me have a little more energy. And so many times they aren't aware of the long-term extreme dangers that are really coming from the misuse of these types of drugs. And I expect, especially in different income levels or different parts of society, that we, as women, ignore that, yeah. you know, sometimes because we want what looks good. Um, there's there's a term called ACEs. It's called um, adverse childhood experiences. And one of the things that we do know, when kids during their childhood have certain ACEs, they're more likely to be on drugs themselves later on in life. They're more likely to experience different kinds of abuse. They're more likely to be abusers. They're more likely to do so many things. But when women are on drugs and have certain behaviors in the home, it impacts our kids. And that could be an ACE for our kids that then struggle after that. I didn't want to take us off track too much, but uh, any comments about that before we dive into pregnancy? Yes, that's super important. And it really shows that this can be a cyclical issue that spans generations, right? Because we know there's a high comorbidity between these ACE, adverse childhood experiences, and trauma, yes, substance use disorders, mental health conditions, suicide, all these other areas, they're very highly correlated. And so that's why it's so important to look at these issues. It, it could be easy to look at someone who has a substance use disorder and say, well, that was their choice. They, they did all these things, but so many times they're doing it in reaction to trauma they'd experienced, so many other things. So uh, there are a lot of complicated yeah. corresponding factors here. But then, as you mentioned, it does move on to next generations. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for us to be having these conversations today so that people can get the help and the treatment that they need. And so we're able to stop these dangerous cycles. That's, that's so great. I, well, it's not great that we have these cycles, but good information to know right, it's important and to be aware of. Um, and let's dive into the kind of the last piece. But we did a whole section on substance use disorders, pregnancy, and trauma. And you and I have cited this so many times in presentations we've done. But tell us about that. 
Well, again, this is one of the reasons why you first had the idea that we needed to study this issue. It was because of a 2014 study of prescription opioid use during pregnancy among women who were receiving Medicaid. And this study showed that Utah had the highest rate in the nation for pregnant women receiving an opioid prescription. So this was a prescription from their doctors. 41.6% of women on Medicaid received this. It was more than twice the national, well, almost twice the national average. That's crazy. That is just huge. And we know that substance use during pregnancies has so many potential adverse factors, both on the mother, but especially on the child, the, the fetal development and all these other things. So we were trying to understand that why women were receiving these opioid prescriptions during their pregnancies. And we know that a lot of women who are already have a substance use disorder and become pregnant, it can be very yeah. difficult to try to manage that and, and manage their own care during the pregnancy. But, um, but we found that study fascinating. We really wanted to understand what was going on with women in Utah. I think the last piece, I, I, I think we should just make a couple comments before we conclude, are really about some efforts to combat, combat substance use disorders. And you really did the groundwork and, uh, on this particular um, snapshot. And there are quite a few things going on in the state of Utah to look at these issues. And there really are supports and resources that we can go to if, if we or people we know struggle, right? Right. Well, this public awareness campaign has been one of the most important factors that we've been working on. Um, just to drive awareness that 80% of heroin users in Utah started with prescription opioids. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really where this is started. And and we've all seen the billboards. We've seen the Stop the Opidemic issue going on. So I love what the state health department and other organizations are doing to say all these things are dangerous. We can't say just because a doctor prescribed it, there isn't a risk for me. Mm. So we need to raise awareness among all individuals. But there really are some bright spots in the horizon. We were Utah was one of 19 states that showed a decrease in the rate of overdose deaths in the 12 months ending in March of 2018. So I think a lot of these um, public awareness campaigns, more uh, more care taken among doctors to make sure, just like you said, when when your husband got his prescription, they were very careful to tell you it can only be used this way. Don't leave it around. Lock it up. I think all those efforts are helping to reduce our overall rates. Yeah, I think just searching online, we we do have some resources on utwomen.org, which is the Utah Women in Leadership website. We have some toolkits um, that you can go to and get some resources and some links to some some help. Um, many things. This is an important issue for the state of Utah. And I, I do know I work with Utah State University uh, Extension, and there's a whole group in the Extension that's really doing some great work specifically on opioids. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast series hosted by the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah State University in partnership with Utah Public Radio, USU Extension, and the John M. Huntsman School of Business. A special thanks to Emily Colby for her technical support. Our core mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. To learn more about our research, resources, and events, please visit us at utwomen.org. Thank you.